Hello, and welcome to Talking Eye Opinions. I am your host, Anthony Livingston Hall. In 1783, white men in America, many of whom owned black men as slaves, won their independence from Britain after a revolutionary war. A mere 21 years later, in 1804, black men in Saint Domingo, later Haiti, all of whom were former slaves, won their independence from France after a revolutionary war. So, imagine what Haiti would be today if, at that defining moment in history, those white men in America had duly recognized it as an independent nation on par with Britain, which those white men themselves had just defeated, and indeed, on par with France, which those black men had just defeated. Unfortunately, the original sin of slavery caused those white men to betray the founding principle of their own Declaration of Independence which held that all men are created equal. But the insidious permutations of that sin also caused those vanquished Frenchmen to betray the founding principle of their own Declaration of the Rights of Man, which held that equal rights should be granted to every man on earth. More to the point though, both betrayals caused defects in Haiti's birth as a nation that have disabled its development ever since. Sure enough, any mention of Haiti today conjures up images of chronic misery and distress. But I hasten to note that Haitians themselves have played a feature role over the years in keeping their country mired in strife. In fact, so much so that even natural disasters, like earthquakes and floods, seem like deserved punishments from the Almighty God. Still, anyone who knows even a little Haitian history knows that America and France share eternal blame for leading an open conspiracy to ensure that, as a newborn nation, Haiti would suffer crib death. The Americans participated in this attempted infanticide because they deemed it politically untenable to have a nation of black revolutionaries enjoying democratic freedoms right in their backyard. No doubt they feared embers from the revolutionary fires that liberated black slaves in Haiti might ignite similar fires 
to liberate black slaves in America. The French participated merely to avenge their humiliating defeat. Never mind the irony that these Haitian revolutionaries only emulated the way the American revolutionaries defeated the British with the help of the French, <laughs> which proves the contention I made over a decade ago about the insidious permutations of the original sin of slavery in a blog commentary titled Africans urge Haitians to return home and then make America and France pay on February 10, 2010. Clearly, France did not have to ape America's institution of slavery for the French to subjugate blacks to racist treatment. Some might say that's all ancient history, but a linear relationship can be drawn between that history and the chronic growing pains Haitians have suffered since independence. In fact, as recently as 2015, political commentators worldwide hailed French President Francois Hollande for finally writing one of history's greatest wrongs. This he reportedly did by forgiving the $81.2 million that remained on debt payments France had been extracting from Haiti as reparations since finally recognizing its independence in 1825. But I denounced the unconscionable indentured servitude those payments represented and scoffed at France's appalling pretense at noblesse oblige in a commentary titled French Forgiving Haitians Like Germans Forgiving Jews on May 14, 2015. On the other hand, it is arguable that American presidents have been almost as responsible for creating the nightmarish living conditions that have defined life throughout so much of Haiti's history as the succession of incompetent, corrupt, and ruthless Haitian leaders those American presidents have propped up. This is why Haitians can be forgiven for so reflexively looking to the United States to honor unfulfilled promises to help build a Haiti that can sustain itself, govern itself, and police itself. Never mind that, even with its best efforts, the United States is probably no more capable of fulfilling such promises there than it was of doing so in Afghanistan. Nonetheless, blaming the Americans or the French for Haiti's dystopia is rather like blaming the British for Zimbabwe's, or indeed for what is turning out to be South Africa's. After all, the foreign aid the world has given Haiti over the past 50 years should have compensated for much of the damage this founding conspiracy caused. Democracy Now!, the progressive news station, ran a feature in February 2010 on a critically acclaimed documentary titled Haiti, 
Killing the Dream. That documentary dramatizes the way Western governments have subverted Haiti's sovereignty for centuries. Yet there is no denying that the lion's share of the blame for killing the dream over the past 50 to 60 years belongs to Haitian leaders like Papa Doc Duvalier, not foreign ones like Bill Clinton. Which brings me to the July 7 assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moise. This being Haiti, it appears to have been an inside job, not least because his presidential guards were nowhere to be found when the assassins arrived. But suspicious minds are also wondering about his wife. After all, Despite the barrage of bullets fired about their bedroom, she managed to sustain a wound only in one arm. And she did it in a way that seemed traumatic and dramatic in equal measure, complete with what seemed like dying words to the nation as she was being airlifted to hospital in Florida for emergency treatment. Truth be told, Moise's death did not evoke much sympathy. Most Haitians resented his ham-handed machinations to enforce dictatorial rule, and even more resented the open and notorious way he was allegedly embezzling much of Haiti's foreign aid. Indeed, this is why brazen cynicism does not even begin to describe the public show his seemingly fully recovered wife made of insisting that the family wished to pay for yesterday's funeral itself instead of burdening Haiti's public treasury. <laughs> Venezuela's Petro-Carib oil program featured prominently in the complaints of embezzlement against Moise. It allows member nations like Haiti to defer payments to free up money for infrastructure like the building of roads, schools, hospitals and electricity grids. But, thanks to rank embezzlement by successive leaders, 15 years after joining the program, Haiti has little more to show for doing so than a $2 billion debt to Venezuela. So yes, foreign leaders conspired for centuries to kill the dream that was Haiti. But there is no denying that, for practically all of its modern history, Haitian leaders have been all too complicit. This is why it hardly matters who ends up as president after they finish playing musical chairs to succeed Moise. That said, it is noteworthy that as many as 25 Colombians and 10 Haitians have been implicated in this assassination. Yet blaming America for all that is wrong with Haiti has become so reflexive that the media have been focusing most of their coverage on two Haitian Americans 
who were among those captured. For what it's worth, the story is that a US-based Haitian pastor, who moonlighted as a DEA informant, concocted this harebrained plot over a decade ago. Evidently, he intended to kill whoever was serving at the appointed hour and installed himself as president. <laughs> Whatever. Frankly, having shared my brief take on Haiti's tortured history, I see no point in dwelling, or speculating as would be the case, too much on this latest saga. But as the world continues to react with shock and dismay, I feel constrained to make three points. The first point is that, even though foreign faces continue to appear as evil forces, indigenous faces remain the constant, central, and catalytic characters who keep Haiti mired in strife. Indeed, it's arguable that Moise was merely ripening into the latest fruit of the poisonous tree Papa Doc planted with his dictatorial rule over sixty years ago. Not to mention the menacing gangs like the Tonton Makuts, Frap, and even Lavalas that have masqueraded as political parties throughout much of Haiti's modern history. The second point pertains to the Pavlovian-like or Stockholm Syndrome-like way. Haiti immediately called on the US to send in troops to quell the unrest this assassination incited. Biden sensibly refused, not least because Haiti's call smacked of a man struggling in quicksand, shouting to others to jump in. The sand is fine. <laughs> I mean, these hopelessly misguided folks couldn't even decide who should succeed Moise, even on an interim basis. This caused the musical chair farce I mentioned earlier, with no less than three men aping Alexander Haig by claiming to be in charge. To be clear, US troops cannot cure what ails Haiti. After the assassination of its president today, any more than they could, when President Woodrow Wilson sent in troops to restore law and order. After the assassination of its president in 1915, or any more than they could, when President Bill Clinton sent in troops to restore democratic governance. After the military coup against President Jean Bertrand Aristide in 1991. Not to mention the ragtag band of gangs that would be lying in wait to bedevil US troops there, even more than Taliban fighters did in Afghanistan. So no, to paraphrase Pan-Africans, these Haitian problems require Haitian solutions. And good luck with that. But Apropos of Aristide, the third point is that the way crowds greeted him upon his return from medical treatment in Cuba last week was eerily reminiscent 
of the triumphal way crowds greeted Christ as their Messiah when he entered Jerusalem on what Christians now celebrate as Palm Sunday. I was seized with apprehension when I saw Haitians dancing in the streets and shouting hosannas to his name, because I had not only seen this movie before, but had duly written a postscript titled, Aristide Returns to Haiti. Uh-oh. On March 22, 2011. Suffice it to know that his return did not bode well for Haiti back then, for the same reasons it does not bode well today. Uh, but here, for the record, is a little of what I wrote back then. And I quote, This does not bode well for political stability in Haiti, because not only is Aristide still worshipped by a critical mass among Haitians, he clearly still regards himself as the legitimate president of this God-forsaken country. <laughs> Alas, in Haiti, as in Africa, the more things change, etc., etc., etc. End quote. It did not take long for events there to justify my fears. But if his return this time does not portend similar chaos and strife, his suspicious ties to this assassination should give all Haitians pause because there seems a direct line between so many Colombians being involved and this sanctimonious former Roman Catholic priest being president when Haiti became a prime port for Colombia's transshipment of cocaine to the United States. Having shared those points, I am constrained to note that this assassination is only a symptom of the perennial malaise that ails Haiti. Since launching my blog in February 2005, I have written too many commentaries on Haiti to count. Yet every one was a variation on the theme of the very first one, which I titled appropriately enough, Haiti's Living Nightmare Continues unabated, on March 7, 2005. It contains this damning but unassailable observation. And I quote, Perhaps Haiti is fated to loom amidst the islands of the Caribbean, as Africa does amidst the continents of the world, as a dark, destitute, diseased, desperate, disenfranchised, dishonest, disorganized, disassociated, dangerous, and ultimately dysfunctional mess. End quote. A bleak assessment, to be sure, but nothing justifies it, quite like data which show 
that Haiti is the only country in the region that has not seen its living standards improve since the 1950s. It should not matter, but it might be wise for me to disclose here that my personal ties to Haiti run deep. Foremost is that my grandpa Walter was Haitian, but I also have a brother-in-law and many friends who are Haitians. Most notable among the latter is one of my oldest and dearest friends, Mary Latour. This is why, in addition to the standing anyone has to comment on Haiti's perennial malaise, I have a vested interest in seeing Haiti overcome someday. Unfortunately, that day seems further away today than at any point during my lifetime. And, in addition to the ones I cited earlier, a list of titles to just ten of the many commentaries I've written over the years will show why the only hope I have left is so forlorn. They include 1. The Plague of Haitian Migrants in the Caribbean on March 31, 2005 2. Compassion Fatigue for Haitian Migrants on July 31, 2009 3. Haiti Earthquake and the Three R's Relief, Recovery and Reconstruction Hey, hope springs eternal on January 10, 2010 4. American missionaries charged with kidnapping Haitian babies on February 5, 2010 5. Hurricane Thomas Haiti's living nightmare continues on November 5, 2010 6. The Gaul of Haiti's Wyclef Jean criticizing international donors on January 21, 2014 7. Haitian déjà vu, corruption, violence, and dysfunction, on August 11, 2014. 8. Baby Dog Duvalier escapes judge to meet his maker, on October 6, 2014. 9. Fatal assistance to Haiti, oxymoron intended, on February 3, 2015, and 10. UN peacekeepers preying on helpless Haitians? Yes, on June 23, 2015.
Again, I don't know who is going to end up sitting in that presidential chair when the music stops. But God help the long-suffering people of Haiti, if it's Aristide. Because the cult-like spell Trump has on his MAGA followers pales in comparison with the voodoo-like spell Aristide has on his Lavalas devotees. That's it. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.